I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I've listened to My Brother, My Brother and Me. I've listened to Kevin Smith, Hollywood Babylon. I listened to The Flophouse. I listened to all these. I, I'm a podcast guy. You brought the I brought whole podcast to thing to me. And I was naive and, and ignorant of and, the and whole ordeal. Every podcast you listen to, when people are asked advice about podcasting or people look into podcasting and they say, okay, what do you got to do? One of the things they say is you got to get to 50 episodes. First thing is you got to start. Just take well, that first start. step. Take the first they step. They say if you can get past 50 and you can get past 100, those are your big stepping stones. Because at one point in time, I'm going to say, I know you and I discussed the different topics we were going to cover, what we wanted to do, and I was like, I don't know if we can get to 100. We're going to run out of episodes. What we are we going to talk about? ideas on the list that we've still never touched. It's been on there for years. Every time we sit down to come up with the next set of, of episodes, we always have an episode. We always have at least one or two that we'd never talked about before. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So here we are, Eric. Dun, dun, dun. This is the 100th original episode. The official 100th episode. Of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Not counting the little fill-in episodes. Not counting the best of video. This is 100 True original episodes. episodes. This is an anniversary. Now. Happy anniversary, Bill. Well, the thing is, to get to 100 episodes, it should take you less than two years. Well, we kind of failed there. We're more like, what, two and a half? Yeah, I think we're close. To, we're closing down three. We, we had some gaps. We had some, some 2020 pauses. happened. But tonight, to do things a little differently, to take into some listener feedback, I've been told that, that people like it when we talk about ourselves a little bit. I don't get that, but hey, whatever floats they, your boat. They like our stories. They like hearing about us. And so for a change... We've done interviews before. Mm-hmm. We interviewed D.A. Roberts, Jason, Jason Mitesh, Lauren Whitecheese. So, but tonight, we're going to interview each other. We're going to talk about a, a wide variety of topics. Oh, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. We're going to talk about some, some general questions, a little bit about ourselves. We're going to talk about our history with Dungeons and & Dragons and gaming. Because we like that. And we're going to talk about our history with this podcast and, and how we feel about it. So, and we, t- we hope that you'll enjoy it. Yeah, on tonight's episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway, you're going to learn about us, which is maybe the most frightening thing of all. God rest your souls. Yeah, if you can make it through. <laughs> From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. So Eric, uh, like I said in the intro there, I, I sort of I brought podcasting to you. I started you did talking about podcasting. I'm I, like, I what listened. is this magicry? What helped me, honestly, is that my grandmother listened to a lot of talk radio and things like that, and radio shows, and, and that she listened to when she was a kid, and and she had us listen to them as adults, well, as adults, as as children when when we were getting older. And so I always never had a problem with with radio as a medium. And then podcasting, I guess the way I've always described it is this is sort of like it's a radio, new radio. Except for you can listen to it whenever you want. And you can do whatever the heck you want. This is the wild what like like you, Kevin you Smith d- says this is you the wild described west. it when we first got into this nearly 3 years ago. 
I was like, okay, what's the rules? What's the regulations? And like, your, your terms was, it's literally like the Wild yeah, West right you do now. whatever you want. Whatever you want, you there's, just put there's it no out there. There's no regulation. There's no rules. There's no nothing. You can just do whatever. And I went into it with like, we wanted to be storytellers. That was the, the foundation. We just want to be two average guys, like what we did at, at work at breaks and we, stuff. Yeah, we were, we've said it before. We were already having these conversations. Yeah, and people would walk in and some would raise their eyebrows and leave and others <laughs> would be like, hey, can I pull up a chair? But I took it as like, you know what? I, again, I'm going to go back to Dungeons & Dragons. I've DM'd for, oh gosh, 20, 20 or more years. That's essentially what a DM does is tell a story. Yeah, and in and, and role-playing games, I mean, I've been fascinated with role-playing games. I started with Dungeons & Dragons and then branched out. Any of the big tabletop role-playing games I've probably played at some point. I, I played with my kids, my family, friends, absolute strangers. But it, it, again, like you said, we were telling stories. and Something we both already did. And, and it was, like you said, we, we might, hey, did you see the latest on the Loch Ness Monster or whatever? We were already having these conversations, and Kevin Smith's advice, which I'm going to go back to Kevin Smith a lot. I, yep. He was sort of the person that got, you know, the I first podcast. The I, I like his movies for the most part, although there's a couple that are hit or miss. But, uh, you know, he was like, you're already having these conversations anyway. He said, just sit down with a friend and record the conversation no matter just, what it is. Just do it. Because there's bound to be someone interested in the same stupid things you're interested in. And I'll be honest, paranormal, you know, podcasts, there are a dime a dozen out there. Yeah. We currently are hitting about 75 to 100 listeners, you know, downloads in the first week of any episode, which actually That's not, doesn't sound like a lot, but it actually terrible. puts us in like the top 50% of podcasts. Which is unbelievable because there's, a, as you said, a lot of competition out and there. And we've grown from like next to nothing. We have 16,000 downloads this week total wow so we've grown thank you thank you everyone and you figure that's that's less than 100 episodes so that's over 100 downloads per episode easy so you know we we appreciate the listeners i I know i've done some shout outs in the past but you know one of the feedbacks that we've gotten the most is that you guys like to hear our stories and like eric said you know maybe they're not that that sometimes that strikes me as weird that anyone would be interested in my life but we sat down a couple weeks ago and we came up well we didn't come up with a list of questions but we came up with some questions we said okay you go and you come up with these questions you pick five i came up with some questions and then we're just going to go through these and then we're gonna i'll ask like eric will answer ask a question i'll answer and then he'll answer the same question we're each bringing different questions but ultimately each of us will answer every question now, for me, I wanted to start with the pivot questionnaire, which comes from France. If you've ever watched the show Inside the Actor's Studio, uh, they typically end with this series of 10 questions. I think they're goofy little questions, but I think it's a good starting point, maybe to get the juices flowing Break and just talking. And so, you want to start? I'll start. What's your favorite word, Bill? I thought about this one. Bodhisattva. <laughs> It's the name of a position, like a high-ranking Eastern mysticism okay. guy, like in you know some kind of monk. But it's a high-ranking monk, bodhisattva. Bodhisattva. I, I, it's it's a rolls off the tongue. It rolls off the tongue. It's an interesting word. Interesting. Your favorite word? Opportunity. A little okay. bit more simplistic, yeah. but I've always been the one to seek an opportunity, and I've always said it's not what you know. Sometimes it's who you know. But then follow up. It's what you do with what little bit you do know. Right. <laughs> Opportunity. What is your least favorite word, Eric? Failure. 
because to me, no one fails. You just found a way that didn't work for you. Yeah. For me, I'm going to say, sorry. Now, let me give you some context. It does. I do need to. There's variations of the, the word, different usages. If you're apologizing, that's fine. My problem is when it's, sorry, we couldn't give this to you. Sorry, oh. we couldn't. No, you made a choice. You did what you thought, you know, you had to do. I, I yeah, hate that. The it's, false it's sorry. Reconciliate. You know, it's, you're not sorry. You did what you had to do. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're using a word out of the context. Yeah, I get that. I get that. All right, Bill. Well, what turns you on? Bomb chicka wah wah. <laughs> not like that. <laughs> not like I think that. you not mean like a, a creative, a spiritual, yes. an emotional kind what of way. What turns you on? Well, get your creative juices flowing, so to speak. When I see something that seems truly original, truly creative, I watch a lot of movies, I read a lot of books, comics, podcasts, like I said. When I find something that seems truly original. Hard to do these days. You know, I, I don't give me wrong, I'm a Marvel guy. I've seen every Marvel movie. I've seen every Friday the 13th movie. I, I will watch a franchise. It's not really that original, but I'll watch them. But when you see something truly original, somebody's come up with something you know, a quiet place. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. seen the quiet. Mm -hmm. We, when we, we, me and my son went and saw that in the theater and I felt that that was a theater going experience like none other. Like you could physically feel people holding their breath to make, you know, keep the silence in the theater. Somebody chomped on some popcorn and I know, like I heard people making <laughs> like, Oh, don't uh, you, you ruined the moment. And I felt that that was a truly original moment. That, that really got me go. Like I, I wanted to tell horror stories after that. I get that a, a little different, but, uh, I felt that way when I took Sarah to go see the original Stargate movie, because that took two of the most favorite things <laughs> we both loved. And it's like, wow, I had never saw that. So yeah, I get that. So how about you? For me? What turns me on is honestly, you may laugh at me here, but I like to see other people's happiness. And if I can have some type of a small role in that, that's just so much the better. I like to see people successful. I like to see people happy because let's face it, the world is kind of a cruel place. Yeah. And it's a mean, cruel place. And I love to find other people happiness. It's, it's, uh, it's catchy. It catches on. So what turns you off? Negativity. And going back to your sorry aspect, that, yeah. I, that's a negativity for me. Anybody that's false, that uh, is just a negative, a Debbie Downer, but not so much just the Debbie Downer. It's just people who surround themselves with negativity who can't understand why they're negative. It's just like, kick yourself in the butt, move <laughs> on, you know, find happiness, but negativity. So what about you? What, what turns you off? Willful ignorance. We live in a world where I, I carry a device in my pocket that can access the grand sum total of human intelligence <laughs> and for people to just be stupid and act like they just don't know. And the, well, you know, I have a buddy on Facebook that told me, blah, 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 blah. well, you know, there's a doctor who went to school for 20 years and then practiced for another 20. Probably knows a little he, bit more about that. Yeah. He's probably a little more knowledgeable than you, but you choose to listen to your buddy on, on, Facebook because he saw a YouTube video. Yeah, yeah. I, I hate who maybe made it through ignorance. high school. <laughs> you can you can ask in my if if one of my kids says something along those lines and my kids will joke with me all the time. They do it to get a reaction, but I I literally just <laughs> kids you know better. Way. You know better. You can go look that up. Fair enough. All right, we're gonna a little trigger warning on this next question. Bill, what's your favorite curse word? You potty mouth. You know, we've always tried to keep this podcast clean. Yeah, we try. <laughs> I'm going to 
It's the big one. The big one. The F-bomb. The F-bomb. You can use it anywhere in a sentence. Yep. George Carlin, F the effing effers, you know? Yep, yep, yep. We'll keep it clean, but I mean, I got to admit, I, I tend to drop that into casual conversation way more often than it, I should. It unfortunately fits in today's yeah. society probably more than ever. <laughs> what about you, Eric? Shit. Yeah, I'm bad with that one, too. <laughs> <laughs> and I find myself telling myself that when I do stupid stuff, you know, it'd be like, hey, I'm going to cut this board. So I've got like this rickety plastic wastebasket that I'm going to throw this board up on with a skill saw and balance <laughs> it while it's sprinkling rain outside and try to cut it. Shit. <laughs> So what's a what's a sound or noise that you love? Music. Music? Any type, whether it be nature, natural music, or man mind uh, man you know, man made. What about you? What sound or noise do you love? Nature. That nature's a being good one. out, you know, if you're at the lake, the waves, birds, frogs, you know, those those animal sounds. The peaceful tranquility. Falling. I just, you know, I, I live in town. I listen to sirens and car noise and stuff nonstop. Yep. I can't, can't stand that. And funny you should say that because uh, what's the sound or noise that you hate? Strangely enough, I will tell you, it is a sound that will set my teeth on edge like none other. And, and it's, I got to explain it to you. You take your thumb or take a fingernail and you rub it down a window screen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, that just drives me <laughs> insane. I hate that so much. Well, mine is exactly what you mentioned beforehand. <laughs> it is the sound of industry, vehicles, horns, sirens. I grew up in the country. I mean, I grew up 20, 30 miles out. You could look up in the sky and see stars and hear hoot owls and whippoorwills and crickets and frogs. And now we live, you know, used to be on the outskirts of towns. Now we're actually inside the city limits. And you go out on the front porch and you, you try to commune with nature, but there's the interstate that's several miles away, but you can still hear those weird. big tires on the semis. Oh, when the train comes stuff. through town, oh, you can gosh. almost feel the vibration even yeah. where I live. And it just ruins the mode, ruins that peacefulness. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? This was a tricky one for me. Um, I, I finally came down to a full-time artist, and it's something I dabble in now. So that was kind of yeah. that I don't do now. Well, I, I dabble in it. I just I, I don't make enough to make a living at it. But, you know, some of you may or may not know, I, I love art. I draw. I paint. Um, I've been a writer. I've written a book. I've published a book. I've published several articles. Uh, I love to sculpt, leatherworking. I mean, you name it. I I am a, uh, a jack of all trades and a master of none, as they say. But uh, I, I wish I could do that full time because I really think surrounding myself with music and nature and living off my artwork, man, that's, that's it. What about you? What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? It, it kind of goes along with what we've already talked about, but professional author. Oh, yeah. I always wanted to be a writer. I've got... Little bits and pieces. I've written some back short to the storyteller stories. thing, yeah. But, uh, you know, when I was in high school, that was the one thing you could count on. If I didn't have a book in hand, I was writing one. So yeah. I always wanted to be a writer. Um, again, my thing was never to be famous. You would argue Stephen King is, of course, famous. But Stephen King probably also doesn't get recognized everywhere he goes. Right. And that's kind of the degree of fame. Like, if I was going to be a famous author or something, I don't want to be recognized everywhere. 
paparazzi you know, to chase you down the streets. You and, know, like, okay, George R. R. Martin. I mean, you know, before Game of Thrones became a thing, most people probably couldn't have picked him out of a crowd. So yeah, true. That, that wouldn't be bad. Plus, I mean, let's be honest, I look kind of like George R. R. Martin. You do, so. actually. <laughs> All right. What profession uh, would you not like to ever do? I can't imagine myself wanting to be a politician. <laughs> I I am a person who is very blunt. Yes. I am a person who- You're too honest to be a politician. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't. I'm not, I don't want to lie. I want to tell you the truth. I want to be honest with you. And I can't imagine being the kind of guy that tells you what I need you to hear for you to get me where I need to be. Yeah. Which honestly, in this day and age, that's all I see in politicians. It's just, I'm going to tell you what to you so you'll vote for me so I can do whatever I want. Right, right. Well, How for, about you? Well, for me, a mortician. And seems like an awful that job. would be to me a, a, just a horrible job uh, i really admire the morticians that are out there but i don't think my psyche could could handle that just to be straight up honest yeah. I, I can't imagine that i would not want to imagine that so bill the last question so here's a big one this you know the answers depending on how we give them might be offended but, or offensive we don't want to offend anyone so if heaven exists mm-hmm what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? <laughs> to me, because as I've shared on the podcast, I, I did have a near-death experience, so I'm going to go out You'll and You'll have say, a unique answer here. Glad you finally made it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what so, about you? So I don't want to offend anybody, but here's my take. Hey, don't worry. You're in the right place. I know a lot of people up there get my words mixed up. <laughs> so don't, don't, you're, it's all good. Is this the politician aspect you maybe, were kind of talking maybe. about? <laughs> you know, you get people who, I, I don't know. I just, I just think that there's no way people are getting it right these days with the stuff you see in the world. Yeah. So. yeah. Amen to that. Amen. All right. Well, let's go back to, uh, you had mentioned to pick five of the, uh, what you identified as the Riverside FM yep. uh, interview questions. So I'll get us started. One of my picked was, what do people misunderstand about you the most? I know this one. I thought this I was an interesting one. one. What do people misunderstand about me the most? I am not stuck up. I am not arrogant. I don't think I'm better than you. I have debilitating shyness. I I have learned that about you. It took me a while to learn that about you. I'll be I, honest. I can't. I don't make phone calls. I ask my wife to make phone calls because I don't want to talk to a stranger on the phone. And here and, you are on a podcast on right. our 100th episode addressing I'm not, what could be total I'm, strangers. I'm, I'm sitting here talking to a friend every week when we do this. Touché. I'm not talking to a million Touché. strangers. Touche. But even in, in my role for my job where I have to deal with new people on a weekly basis and I have to conduct meetings and I have to talk in front of you know groups of people to present information, what I feel on the inside when I do that, apparently I'm a good actor, I guess, because it doesn't come out to the outside. <laughs> but you're talking about a guy who... I don't sleep the day before I have to do a meeting. I don't sleep the day before I have to go to a dentist appointment because I have to go in and I have to deal with these people. And so it's led me to be a quiet person. I, I don't talk a lot. I don't really interact a whole lot socially because I'm afraid of how people will react to me and, and, and that they'll make me feel less, you know? Right, right. And so I'm I not, think that's huge that you have grasped that and understand that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not arrogant. I don't think I'm better. I just... Really I never shy. got that opinion about you with the many, many years we oh, have I've, known each other. I've had plenty of people tell me. And, you know, we've been in classes and training classes and stuff together. And I will say, like, some of the first ones, it's like, what's this guy's shtick? Yeah. I mean, he's just 
kind of quiet. He's just sitting over there. He's just observing. I can tell you were a very intellectual man. And well, I appreciate that. I don't know if I agree. You were, you were using what uh, the good Lord <laughs> gave you two ears to listen twice as much as what you talked. Uh, that's kind of where I came across, but I, I get that. I get that. So how about you? What do people misunderstand about you? Different, but yet similar to what you said. Uh, I sometimes consider myself as a pretty poor friend. Uh, I often get wrapped up with so much focus on whatever it is I'm doing because I'm juggling a hundred things. I seriously am. I don't reach out often as much as I feel I should. But I will say, if someone needed me, as a few can attest that maybe listen to this, you could call me at any time of the day, day, night, two o'clock in the morning, whatever. And I would do my absolute best to be there for you. I've, I've had what I consider some of my closest friends, and I'm ashamed to say my closest friends, a lot of them, I may not have talked to in a year. But I had one call me one time while I was uh, at work, and they were in the process of moving. And they had this huge office desk stuck on a winding <laughs> stairway that they were trying to remove from the upper floor down to the living room to get out to, into a moving truck. And they brought the neighbor kid over. And they had this thing literally wedged up against the ceiling, wedged on the stair rail. And they're like, we, we didn't know who else to call. And I was like, say no more, man. I clocked out, boom, and, and I'm there. And we manhandled that thing down the steps and got it. But I like to think I'm, I am there, but in my mind, I don't reach out enough. I think I'm, I could definitely be a better friend. And it's not, it's not intentional. It's like what you were saying. It's not that I'm like, oh, I ain't got time for this person. Or, you know, it, it's nothing like I that. Think, I think a lot of people can be guilty of that. I think I'm guilty of that at times. It's just I get so wrapped up with other stuff that I think has to be done, you know, chop, chop, chop. And I'm, in my mind, it's like a, a friendship does go both ways, yeah. you know. So, but anyhow, I, I'd like to improve that. All right. What's your favorite childhood memory? Mm, this is a tough one for me. My favorite childhood memory Again, childhood being the key, I think would be Christmases. I've kind of lost the allure of Christmas as I've gotten older. Now, when we had the kids, I loved it. But, you know, kids are grown up now. We've got grandkids that live in another state. But we don't even put a freaking Christmas tree up anymore. We haven't put a Christmas tree up in like four years. Yeah. But as a childhood memory, oh, my gosh. I mean, that's part of what we're in the backside of Ravensloft here store in our makeshift studio. I'm surrounded with, with vintage toys, and that's, that was such a magical time. I was an only child, and you know, Dad often worked two jobs, and Mom and Dad would go and find whatever that special toy is that I circled in the Sears or Montgomery Ward catalog or whatever, and I was spoiled. I'll, I'll be straight <laughs> up honest. I was spoiled, uh, but I loved those childhood memories, and not just for the gifts because— at that time, like my mom's mom and dad, my grandparents, they were alive. My other grandma, my dad's side was alive. And we got together, family. We would get together at night and we would play Monopoly, board games, card games, whatever. I think that time is gone. I think yeah. for most people in today's society. So it wasn't just the receiving the gifts. It was just that, that whole big package on Christmas or whatever with a big bow on top and knowing that the, the big, nice meal, seeing family and cousins and friends you hadn't saw probably since that time last year and just getting together. What would it be for you? When I was a kid, you couldn't keep us inside. You know, and, and I have a lot of 
you know, tragedy. And, 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 you know, we come, I come from a broken home. My parents got divorced. You know, my grandpa died when I was pretty young. You know, there's a lot of things you can say were bad. We didn't have a lot of money. So Christmas for me wasn't quite the same experience. Now, my mom always worked very hard to make Christmas, you know, as, as good as she could. Right. And I think there were years my mom had to borrow money to make Christmas oh, yeah. work. So, oh, yeah. But for me, it was the fact that, you know, when I was younger, it was just going outside. Me and my brother would just go outside and we would just play. You know, we would we would go through the woods. We would go for these hikes. We would go for these walks. And it was nothing for us to be gone for hours and on end. And your only toy was maybe a stick you picked up. Yeah, in the woods you know, we or would whatever. go outside and do whatever. And we had that camaraderie. And, and I mean, you you go back to talking about not being a great friend. Even you know, I don't I don't talk to my brother that often. And you know, we live thirty minutes apart. <laughs> you know, and he might call me out of the blue. He he called me up a couple of weeks ago with some news that I mean, frankly, shocked me that I hadn't heard sooner. You know, and it was I miss having that, that family camaraderie with my brother and, and being out in the woods and playing and just not having a care in the world. Cause that was, you know, you were away. I was away from everything. Magical the, time. The, the stuff that was weighing down on you when you're out playing in the woods, you know, none of that's there until you get back home. So I, that, that for me was just, you know, those, those times I spent with my brother just out there doing whatever. I admire that. All right. Well, Bill, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Now, I would say right here, but obviously, I mean, I need to be a little more original, right? <laughs> well, not necessarily. I mean, you're the not a politician. You're telling the truth. Place to live, but if I could live anywhere, the Pacific Northwest, up in those wild places, you know, get you a pet squatch, yeah, like, hang out well, in the mountains. I mean, that's not that's not far from the thought. You know, I, I'll be up there in those wild areas and. If you're going to see Bigfoot, that's where you're going to see him, right? Yeah. That, that's always been one of my dreams is, is to be able to go on like a camping trip in the Pacific Northwest. But realistically, I mean, there's a lot of empty place up there. You could buy a lot of land and just put a house right in the middle and not know you had neighbors. Right. And that's one of my dreams. Going back to that whole nature solitude <laughs> thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing a, a repeat here. How about you? Well, the first time I read the question, in, in all honesty, uh, I was like, place I want to go visit. But then I reread it and it said place I want to live. So I'm going to answer it twofold. I would love to go visit a place called Rattles Den, England in Wales. And some may say, well, why? In our years of genealogy, that's where my oldest great, 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 great grandfather was christened and buried in the 1700s. Do I want to live there? No. So I misread the question. I'll just be, I'm where do you want to live? I want to probably live out on the coast. Uh, when our daughter got married and married a Marine, stationed out in Quantico, but before that, even in North Carolina, we really got to experience the beach, the beach life, the salt life. And we've been to the beach before. We've been to Florida and the other coasts and stuff, but I think it was a little different because now I had family that was there. And that tranquility, that the sound of the water coming in, the, the feel of walking barefoot on the sand. Oh my gosh, it's so grounding. And it's, you know, it just gets us away from some of these other questions, yeah. you know. And now that I've got grandkids out there, you know, that question, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, would have had a different answer. If you asked me 15 years ago, it would have had a different answer. But right now it would be with my family yeah. out on the coast. What was your favorite trip you've ever taken? I was a teenager in high school and we went to Florida. And in one trip, 
we went to Disney World, Epcot Center, and NASA. I did a very similar trip when I was a little kid. Including the beaches in there we also. Did, we hit SeaWorld too. We missed SeaWorld. Uh, but Universal Studios, all that, we hit This was before Universal Studios. But, oh my gosh, I felt like that was like six vacations rolled yeah. into one. It was like, how, how did we not do this before? It was just, it boggled my mind. Uh, but that was my absolute best. Here's a weird childhood memory. I remember being at the, the Space Center there mm-hmm. in Florida. And I remember a couple, an older couple, I can't remember, you know, but as a kid, stranger danger and all that. <laughs> I think they spoke French. I couldn't understand what they were saying. Oui, oui, monsieur. But they had a, they, apparently I was similar size to someone they knew and they were trying to buy a jacket and they oh. wanted me to try on this jacket. And I thought for sure this was how those people were going to kidnap people me. People were going to throw me in a van. But at the same time, I was also a very accommodating child. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'll try on this jacket. And they like did the whole, you know, and then like thanked me, I guess, and sent me on my merry way. So Interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I remember a similar vacation. So what would you consider your all-time best vacation? Best trip, hands down. And, and this was not all that long ago. We went to Nags Head, me and a, and a group of friends and some family. Um, but it was me and my, my kids, my wife, my friend Tim, his family, um, his wife before she passed away, Jason and his family, my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law, and his girlfriend. Man, you guys had a cult. We got a beach house <laughs> on Nags Head. And every day, first thing in the morning, we'd go take a walk on the beach. We'd kind of lounge around the first half of the day. We'd go spend an hour in the ocean every day, oh, two hours. that's amazing, yes. And then we, we went to Roanoke. Mm-hmm. which we can talk about on a later episode. We went to Roanoke. We went to a great big aquarium that they had there. We went to a botanical garden. We went to the sand dunes and flew kites. We went to where the Wright brothers had their first flight. Right, right. Uh, went to lighthouses. I didn't go up any lighthouses because, you know, the whole you don't like the fear whole, heights. Yeah, fear height thing. But it was so nice because you, we were surrounded by friends, and we were told, we were told before we went, this will be a miserable vacation for you. You can't have that many people together. You can't spend that much time around your friends. And we we never got on each other's nerves. Got along just fine. We we would go and we would do our own things at times. You know, sometimes it'd be like, look, we're going to go have lunch by ourselves. And it would just be me and my kids. We'd go have lunch. And then it's like, okay, we're going to meet at Roanoke after we eat. And then we, we went out to Roanoke. Or, you know, hey, we're going to go fly kites on the sand dunes. So we went and shopped at this little mini mall thing, and we went and flew kites on the sand dunes. That was probably the secret, though. You weren't, like, bound to each other for everything you did. You know, sometimes we went and did our own things, and, like, you know what? I don't feel like going anywhere. You know, a storm came in off the ocean, and my my friend's daughter is was, she probably still is, but at that time, horrified of storms. And, you know, when they come off the ocean, man, they're rattling the windows, you know, they were so bad. And it was like we were all there to comfort her and make her feel better. Like, hey, nothing's going to happen. This house has been here forever. You know, there was just a hurricane, you know, a month ago, and it's still here. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, we went crab fishing, and I got pinched by a crab, and it drew blood, and I thought for sure I was going to get hepagonosurfles or what? <laughs> you know, they, they tell you, don't let them pinch you. Don't let them draw blood. Cause You're going to turn into a crab man. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, we just had so much fun with the stuff we did. And then, like I said, we, we branched out and did our own things, and it was. That's cool. And again, on the ocean, on the beach, you yeah. know, we spent two hours. We it's would a different walk. world. It really um, is. Of course, one of my favorite things to do, which is very difficult to do when you live in Missouri, is collect shark teeth. Yeah, it's a little harder here. So, you know, you talk every day, I'd come back from the beach with a fistful of little shark teeth. I mean, I was, it was, it was awesome. And, and I don't, 
you know, my kids were at that right age. I've got on my Facebook profile, you know, one of the pictures from that vacation is on my Facebook profile. And they were just all the right age that everybody could enjoy what we were doing. And we just had a blast. And, and all, all the kids were still young. And it was like, even from day one, I remember laying in bed the first morning and good old Tim comes running in and just jumps on the bed, <laughs> collapses one of the, the legs. Oh, God. On this rental property. It's like, dude, you know you're going to pay for that. Yeah. It was like, holy crap, dude. So we spent the next two or three hours trying to figure out how to fix that, you know? And it's just like, <laughs> but it's still like a fan. And, and even with, there was some negativity at times, and, but not, not between me and my friends. Yeah. But still ended up just being a fantastic vacation. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So, Bill, here's a big one. If you won $10 million tomorrow, what would you spend it on? $10 million. I'm a practical guy. $10 million. I'd buy a reasonable house on some land in the middle of nowhere so you can see your neighbors. We already, ta- we already covered yep. that. In Sasquatch land. I'd buy two cars. Nothing fancy. I don't need sports cars, SUVs, or whatever. Just two cars. Two Brand reliable new. vehicles. New. I would bank half of it. There's an equation that, that tells you how much money you can take out at any period. Right. So you can live off the interest. Mm-hmm. I'd quit my job. <gasps> what? I'm telling you. That's <laughs> that's the dream, right? And I would I would just disappear. You know, I would just find a place and just I would keep in Says touch. Says the person who has admitted he doesn't like to talk to people and yeah. is kind of a loner. Yeah, I could definitely keep, see this. Keep in touch with the people that matter. Yep. You know, keep doing this and and you know, maybe make this a bigger thing and, and maybe a career path and practice that we writing. Can find I a Sasquatch about. and interview them. But yeah, I, I would just, <laughs> I would be reasonable about it, but I would, I would try to just disappear. I, I could definitely see that. And I'm, I'm very similar on what I would do with $10 million. First off, I, I would pay off every bill we have. Then I would pay off all my parents' bills. Then I would buy a large enough house that my family and friends could come stay with us comfortably and we wouldn't be on top of, you know, one another on the beach or near the beach (laughs) to share with my close circle of friends. Yeah. And the rest of it, I would invest. And as you said, basically, you know, live off the interest, $10 million. I could probably do everything I wanted to do with a million of that. I mean, I would pay off every bill, buy a really nice house. I would probably buy another car or so, but I think a million would, would, I would have $9 million I could put and invest. Okay. Yeah. You, you hear about that curse of the lottery where people win that money and then they go crazy and then they end up owing money. I I just don't, I don't know how you do that. I'm not one of those people. I wouldn't go out and buy like all brand new name brand clothing. You would be seeing me wearing my Marvel Thanos shirt that I'm sporting today with my jeans and holes. You don't need a solid gold throne or anything like that. No, (laughs) no, not even on the toilet. No. (laughs) Eric, what's your biggest pet peeve? Liars and thieves. I have no patience for liars or thieves. Yeah. And any entity of my life, for me, it's a waste of their time and a waste of my time just to maybe sound selfish, but that's the way I'll put it. I could copy that one easily, but if I want, you know, I want to differentiate a little bit. What's your pet peeve? Biggest pet peeve? You know, I, uh, I could tell you, but no, never mind. Never mind. I'm not gonna, oh. I hate, I hate that so bad. <laughs> I hate when somebody's like, oh, I know a thing, but no, but I, I no, can't tell I you. I can't tell you. You know what? If you don't want me to know it, just don't let me know you yeah. know it. Just leave it. Leave it. Yeah. Don't, Close your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't, it, it's just, you're getting me halfway there. Yeah. Like the whole do, bait thing. Yeah. I hate that. I hate that so much. Yeah. I, I get that. Totally. What is your favorite 
productivity hack for entrepreneurs. Now, when you floated this question earlier, I thought, one, I'm not an entrepreneur. Yeah. Two, uh, productivity hacks. You know, for me, I guess if you, if you want to say, how do I, what's my productivity hack? We'll change it to that. It, it's, it's just to chunk it up. Like, when I'm doing the podcast, when I'm editing a podcast for final, you know, release, 15 minutes at a time. I say, I'm going to edit 15 minutes audio. I edit 15 minutes audio, I go do something else. Okay. Because if I sat there and tried to do a whole episode all at once, it would drive me insane. Just take a little bites of that cookie. So I, I, I sit there and, and like when I get off work, I'll say, okay, I'm going to do 15 minutes audio on the podcast and then I got to do this or I got to do that. I want to do this. I just, I just bust it up in a little Scheduling pieces. of time. How about you? My biggest productivity hack, I think it goes back to my music. Play music whenever you work. Uh, you know, that always drove me nuts at places we have worked mutually together. You oh, know, yeah. no music. Oh, no. Music is shown to help productivity. I can get more done with playing some music in the background. And one, I just, I lose myself. But I get so focused on what I'm doing that, to me, that is so simple. Now, to other people I've talked to, they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't think about anything else but the music. I have to have. It, it may not work for everybody. I'm just saying for me. I have to have background noise. I have to. I have a podcast or TV or something. I, I absolute silence is. And whenever I'm can't. crafting or doing my artsy stuff, I'll, I'll put critical role on in the background or <laughs> Lord of the Rings, you know, something that I can just kind of stop and listen to and, and pay attention whenever I need, but that that's mine. How did you meet your spouse, Eric? <laughs> well, I think, well, I started to say most people, but probably not a lot of people out there. Only my closest, my wife, Sarah and I were high school sweethearts. I took her to the senior prom. So, I mean, literally, we, we were married right out of high school. How we met was a mutual friend, and I won't get in trouble for saying this because we've, I, I've shared this with my <laughs> wife. We had a mutual friend who, at the time, I was somewhat interested in, and she came by actually this same building, which was the vacuum shop at that time, which my mom and dad later ended up owning and still own today small world, and brought this little gal in that ended up being Sarah, my wife, and said, hey, this is one of my friends. She works down the street, and I just wanted to introduce you. And she turns around and just walks out. It was the most awkward <laughs> thing. I'm like, uh, uh, what, what is going on here? All right. So she's standing here, and this is how good I am on first impressions. <laughs> I see her. I'm thinking she's one, and she, she loves me for this one. I thought she was much older than I was, but it wasn't the way she looked. It was the way she acted. She was just very stern. <laughs> I've, I've known her for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and for those of you who didn't know her, I mean, she didn't go to regular high school. She was homeschooled. I didn't know that. She started working full-time right out of middle school. I mean, 40 hours a week. So in a way, she was much more mature and older than, than I was. But I'll be straight up honest. It was like, I think she works down the street, maybe at that HD Lee building. And I'm, I'm just like, she's older than I am. I think she smokes cigarettes. <laughs> and wow, I don't, I, I think this lady could probably kick my ass. That part I had, right? But besides that. And then later we got to know each other and. I couldn't have been further from the truth on a lot of it, but it definitely was not love at first sight. 
But we've been together now for 33 years, I believe. So, How about you? How did you meet your spouse? So, you, it's no secret I work nights at Emerson here in town. My wife worked weekend shift and would volunteer for overtime. And at that point in time, I didn't know her. But uh, now she'll tell you it was love at first sight. We, we, I believe it was putting stickers in tea boxes. I don't know if you ever had that. To do that is a very romantic job. But Seriously. we were standing there, it was just me and her, and we were talking, and I was joking because I was always. Now, were you just an employee on the floor? Or were yeah, you in... No, I was just an employee. Okay, because it, was, it wasn't like management picking no, up no, one no, of no, the employees no. or something no, here. No, we were no, that employees. kind of stuff. Okay. And uh, she says it was love at first sight. Like she knew right away that, that we were going to be together. I had some reservations in the beginning. Uh, she was older than me by seven years. And the way we everything eventually came together was a coworker of ours actually went to my wife and said, hey, I got a guy. You should go out with him. Now, he's he's a little younger than you. And that was a red flag for her. She's like, okay. But he's <laughs> mature for his age, which, you know, God bless this dude for lying. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, uh, you know, he, you, you got to go out with him. He, he's a great guy. He's mature. He's got his head on straight, blah, 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 which, you know, I'm sure my wife would like to stomp a mud hole in him now. <laughs> like, he could have been a little more truthful. But we went out on our first date. I had had some dental work done. It was the first day I could eat solid food. Oh. So it was one of those like, hey, you want to go out to dinner? And she's like, well, I don't really want to go. And I was like, hey, I'm paying for it. You know, let's let's. But we went to St. Louis and we got thoroughly lost trying to find this place that he told us to go. We ended up going to the zoo and walking around the zoo and then stopping for dinner on the way home. And it was one of those things where when I dropped her off at her house, it was, it was, it was, it felt weird, but it felt right, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, a couple more dates and next thing you know, we're moving in together. Kindred spirits. So. Very cool. At what time of day do you get your best work done? And I think I know the answer to this because yeah, I've known you for oh, so long. This is overnight. I don't do anything before 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> you know, I'm a night shift person. I, I, yep. So I, I don't, I get out of bed at three o'clock in the afternoon most days. You know, I get up and go to work. I'm at work at 4.30, get out of work at 3.30, 4 o'clock. But even on the weekends, you know, I, I, I kind of almost have that same schedule. And, and you know, 10 o'clock, 10.30, I, I kind of want to start doing stuff and getting stuff done. And then, so I do a lot of, you know, the podcast, all the podcast work happens at night where I'm editing and, and getting things ready. It is really hard for me to get motivated before 10 o'clock. Yeah. I gotta be honest. Not a morning person. Just, well, and, and the bad part is you say not a morning person, but, but it I'm is your morning 10 PM, you know? Yeah. So, right. Right. And I, and I think you're probably similar. If I'm I, <laughs> after 17 years out at Emerson working every God awful night shift combination there, there could be, I have found it now that, I mean, we're, I'm working for myself now, but it is so difficult to convert. I get my best work done between 5 p.m. and midnight. Yeah. And I really, I, I got, like we were talking a bit ago, put some music on or something in the background and I can really zone in. And I, I think truly 10 to midnight is my absolute most productive time. Old habits die hard. And even if I try to go to sleep, I would still say I get my best work done because I'm thinking because I'm definitely not sleeping as I'm laying up there in bed. My mind's just going 90 to nothing. So, yeah, we're we're both birds of a feather, night owls together, I guess, as they say. Now, I, I posited this one to you before I recorded. You said it would be a difficult one, but I still like it. Yeah. What three pieces of media, anything, book, movie, TV show, would you recommend and why? 
This is extremely difficult. Yeah, I'm asking you to narrow it down. That was that was the that, thing you said. Yeah, You're like, not, I could give you 300. I can't come up with it. It's just, yeah. The three best pieces of media, book, film, TV. Like if you were going to give somebody three things they had to watch before they died. <laughs> okay, first off, if you don't know me, I'm a very strange individual. Okay, and let's say this. We can do a series if you feel like you need to. <laughs> you know, so. It depends on at what point I am in my life, but I do remember, and I mentioned what I mentioned this movie earlier. Now a lot of people's going to laugh. Stargate, the movie Stargate, touched me in a very special way. It, was gonna, it touched you in a way it didn't touch me. I, yep. And another movie, Legends of the Fall. I, I've literally never seen it. Wonderful movie, one of Brad Pitt's earliest ones, Frontier, and then my all-time favorite movie, Interview with a Vampire, the original. Oh, I would stand by that. You just took one of my answers, man. Um, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, ironically, we do a podcast, but I am a video, you know, minded person. I'm not an avid reader. If it's research books, now that's, again, that goes down another whole rabbit tunnel, but I love to do genealogy and research and history, but I don't enjoy just sitting down to read for the fun of it. Quite honestly, I go to sleep. <laughs> uh, and that's horrible. I know people are throwing stones at me right now, but uh, how about you? Well, this is one I had to think about. I'm like you to narrow this, it down. This is tough. And, and you kind of stole one of mine with everything. Uh -huh. So I had to get, I had to think about a movie that I watch on fairly regular basis. I watch it probably yearly, if not every other year is the devil's rejects. Mm. I'm a horror fan. Um, and, and not to say that I'm a Rob zombie fan. I think he makes fine movies. But The Devil's Rejects is such an in-your-face horror film that, to me, someone who's watched it on a regular basis, there are still scenes that make me uncomfortable to watch. And I <laughs> right. think that makes a horror movie good. Right. right. That's what makes a good horror movie. Uh, number two, I would go with another movie, and I would think the original John Carpenter's The Thing. I've heard you reference that many no times. No movie creates a sense of paranoia like that movie does. And even when you're done watching the movie, you still have questions about what happened in that movie. You still don't know. You don't have the answers. Just a fantastic movie. And and again, top-notch special effects. Um, it, It's one of those things. You know, if it's not going to make you uncomfortable to watch it, it ought to at least gross you out as a horror movie. <laughs> and finally, you can... The third. Criticize me all you want. I think everyone should read The Hobbit. What? The Hobbit is a fantastic piece of literature. I know it was originally conceived as a child story. I have story, read that book, yes. But it's, it teaches you two very important lessons throughout the course of the book. Number one is, is you don't judge a book by its cover. You, don't, you have this unassuming Hobbit character who becomes the hero. He right? can't amount to anything. Yeah, I mean, he's just so he? small he's just, and tiny. and Tiny yeah. and lazy and, and you know, he's lived this pampered life and becomes a very, very important character. And the second is a line by Thorin Oakenshield on his deathbed, which amounts to, if, if more people valued friendship and the comforts of good food and home, this world would be a much better place. Amen. And I think it's just fantastic. I, I, I have read The Hobbit more times than I can count. Very good. Can't say the same for The Lord of the Rings. Man, they are hard to get through. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. All right. Well, then we decided... Shake things up here a little bit. Get a little bit, maybe even. Are we are we on our D and D questions already? We are going to go to now. We we agreed RPG questions. I said, I said RPG D &D. for you, but I know you for I, I've only you could go RPG. I I stuck with D and D for you. Oh, well, bless you. <laughs> I Bill 
is astute in RPGs. I mean, he's played Vampire the Masquerade and Dungeons and Dragons and, and the Marvels and the DCs and just <laughs> the list goes on and on and on. I've dabbled a little bit in the very early Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I've tried to play the, the Marvel DC, but Dungeons and Dragons, I mean, that to me, that is, that's just, that's it. So first question. Now, these are questions. These are original questions, folks. Yeah, these, these are, are the ones Bill and I came up with ourselves. So, Bill, what's the weirdest game you've ever DM'd for, or if you weren't a DM, were involved with? Marvel superheroes. There we go. Back in um, late 90s, early 2000s, had a group of friends. I was kind of new to this group, and we were playing Marvel superheroes where they were a, a mutant offshoot. They were a more hardcore division of the X-Men called the Extremists. X-Extremists. Ah, okay. I see what you did there. And as part of the game, we decided, I, I was GM of the game or whatever their storyteller version is, and they were at a Comic-Con. And in the Comic-Con... I love this. You know, Marvel uh, at the Comic-Con. Yeah. No, it, I thought that was great, right? <laughs> William Shatner is there. Oh! And they want to know, is William Shatner a mutant? And I say, okay, there's a one in a hundred chance and I roll the percentile, and I get Boom. a one. <laughs> so William Shatner's a mutant. Now, what's William Shatner's power? Well, I think it's obvious what William Shatner's power should be. The whole teleport from Star Trek? Uh, that's him. That's him. He can teleport people with the sparkly stuff. With the sparkly stuff, okay. And so they try to ally with William Shatner and get oh him to gosh. be part of it because they need a guy to teleport people places, sure. right? That's and a, I that's just a remember useful effect. Trying to role play William Shatner, and I was... <laughs> trying to capture the Saturday Night Live skit version of William Shatner, oh, yeah. where you big people got to get lives, you know? And the big long pauses and <laughs> suspenseful stuff in between, yeah. Definitely probably the strangest game that I, I was a, a, a GM for. So I, I guess we'll ask you the same. Okay. Well, I, I've got twofold. One, one really kind of got to be disturbing, to be honest, but I, I'll share that one as the, as the second end. Uh, in D&D, I was DMing for a group uh, here at the shop. This is back years ago. And I had a new player. I will stress that. New player. He was a fighter. Continually ran off from the group. I mean, this guy was like herding cats. He, you could not keep him close to the group. You can't separate the group. Derail the mission constantly. He would do, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it, some of the stupidest crap you could <laughs> possibly imagine. And then call his deity. Now, a fighter, I said, not a priest, not a cleric. He was just a fighter. But then he'd get himself in a corner and he would try to call his deity every single mission to bail <laughs> him out. I didn't know how to handle this, you know, as a DM, but the players, I got to sit back and watch the players in action. Wow. They corralled around this guy. One, they tried the protective approach. No, no, you need to stay close to me. You need to do, you know, and if that didn't work, just call him out. You know, what the hell are you doing? I mean, just kind of deal. That was a lot of fun. Um, very awkward situations, but I will say as a DM, I enjoyed it because the players took control of the game and I wasn't real sure how to do it. So th there was that one. The second one kind of a little bit, more disturbing is I had a player, devout player. I mean, we played every Saturday for probably three years straight in the same campaign. And she came to me one day and I thought she was joking, but she was not. And she said, I want to know what I can do to get my name legally changed to my D&D &D character. 
that's some dark dungeon stuff there. You got it. And I, I'm looking at her like, huh, yeah. Huh. Oh, she's not even wow. smiling. Ooh. And she goes, no, I'm serious. I want to go to the courthouse and I want to change my name. She had recently went through her parents getting a divorce. She was kind of a bad situation in her life. And somehow she thought she would assume this persona in the time that we have talked about when we grew up playing D and D. I mean, it's like, oh gosh, it's happening. This is yeah, the this, stuff that all the church groups and everything about. are, you know. So I tried to explain to her, no, I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I know you're going through some stuff, but I don't think this is going to be the answer and kind of deterred her from that. But that was a very scary moment for me. So. All right, Eric, what um, is your favorite D and D monster and why? Hmm. My favorite D and D monster would absolutely have to be a vampire. I love, I love vampires. I mean, as much as you love Sasquatch and Megalodon, I, I love <laughs> hey, vampires. Hey, I loved vampires once upon a time. I was a, well, used to watch Interview with a Vampire to go to sleep every day. But I love vampires as the undead because they can be so forgotten and in this place where it's unexpected and characters just stumble across them. And it's like that mousetrap that snaps and they know they're in trouble, but they don't know it until that's done. I mean, you got life drain and all these abilities, superhuman strength and hearing. And I I love to play vampires as the monster. How about you? Goblins. Goblins. And I I don't like the way they're depicted in Dungeons and Dragons, you know, the earth tone skin and all that. But if you're familiar with the Pathfinder art, that's more what I think of the green skin, big ears. But I like them. Because one, they're always underestimated. They're goblins. They're stupid. They're always somebody else's henchmen. Few hit points. They're easy to kill. But if you get enough of them oh, and gosh. you play them right, oh, I gosh. mean, they're cutthroat. And I like to, to every now and then subvert expectations. Give a sympathetic goblin, maybe an intelligent goblin. Sure. Good DM you does know, that. You know, you know, that way people are just, you know, catch them off their guard. You know, spellcaster goblins and things like that, you know, just. I just like these little creatures that come in hordes, you know, gremlins and critters and, and things like that. All right. I'll have another question. What's your all-time favorite game or session, uh, the, and how long have you played that? Well, I'll kind of roll those together, and I can answer both questions. I had a very long-lasting campaign, I want to say probably a year and a half, of Dungeons & Dragons 3rd Edition that had to end because people's schedules started to change. People were changing jobs. You know, we were all night shift people when it started. People were taking different jobs. You know, Sunday night was the only night that worked for me. But if somebody's got to get up early on a Monday, you know what I mean? But we ran this campaign and, and we had multiple players come in and out. Different different characters being played. Um, probably three or four different character deaths where people had to change their characters. If you're familiar with the game EverQuest, mm-hmm. I used the maps for EverQuest and, and the setting. I took a lot of that. It culminated... In the in the final, like I had the the MacGuffin they were chasing, they were trying to get these keys so they could unlock this tomb to fight this this dragon, Carafirm the Sleeper. If if the Sleeper awakens, the world ends. And Carafirm was on the edge of awakening, and so the last session was them finally assembling this this key to get to Carafirm's tomb, and they go in, and I did not have stats for Carafirm. I did Uh-oh. not know what to do because there were no stats in the book. And this was uh, epic level play. We were way past level 20 at this point. I think we're right. 23, 24, I love 25. it when it gets to that. So these were God-tier characters. I mean, they 
had started their own city and, and had a base of operations and, and had traveled the world and the plains. And so I found a little piece of advice on a, on a website maybe, which was you don't always have to have stats, but know what your characters can do and then work against that. So, for example, my fighter character had this meteor iron sword that kind of basically exploded in meteor fire every time he struck something. I had a very, very powerful wizard who had somehow learned to bridge the gap between arcane and divine. So oh, wow. he had divine spell. He was their healer and their you know powerhouse spellcaster. I had a barbarian who was just, I mean, just slavering mad when he would berserk, you know. <laughs> And it was just these super powerful characters, and so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't establish a hit pool. I didn't have hit dice or, or hit points when I sat down. I didn't know what the attacks were going to do. I didn't know what his two hit was. I didn't know what his AC was. I just started calling this stuff out on the fly mm-hmm. and giving him different ability because he's living. He's this you know conglomeration of all dragons. So it's like he, he breathes fire. Okay, now this turn he's going to breathe ice, and this turn he's going to breathe acid. Keep him guessing, and they really loved it. And they were absolutely 100% convinced after the session that I had entirely built this guy from the ground up for just one session. And I'm like, oh, you flatter me. Yeah. You know, I I love that you say that, but I did nothing. I came to the table with nothing that day except for this is what I'm going to do. And I I was really like, I was kind of proud that I had pulled that off and made them feel like I had completely built this custom boss monster and you know when you get to those levels combat can go really quick two or three turns well this was like a 30 minute combat by the time they got there that is as a dm both of us long term and anybody out there that's listening as a dm long term how many times early on in our careers of dms do you spend days you know making all these details and then it never even materializes i I designed a total waste of time i designed an entire castle with it being like sort of a railroady maze and completely realized failed to realize there was a door in the first room that could take you to, right the, to the, the, end. Little, the end of what oh I Oh my intended. gosh. <laughs> Just completely overlooked it when I drew it. Yep. So how, so how about you, Eric? Well, my favorite game obviously is, is Dungeons and Dragons by far. And I still play the old AD and D, um, but, um, homebrew, I will say we've added in is even fifth edition, some different races and classes, but, you know, I started DMing back in like 84, and I think the reason why this scenario is my favorite, I started creating original content really strong about 20 years ago. And actually, right behind you, there's a map that I hand drew. There's an, a, a city that I made called Grimoire Bay that I came up with. And it was a, a melting pot. You could find anything here if you had the right money and, you know, you know who to ask for and you didn't end up dead in the alley somewhere. <laughs> it was one of those. The story quest that I'm doing right now with my active D&D group, which we, we play every week, is a rebirth of characters. Like we may play for a year or two years and then we restart, but a lot of times that'll be an ancestor or a descendant or something. I did that with the city of Grimoire Bay. And just a few weeks ago, it it had been called Deep Water. And it became apparent to them. And it's funny because you, you know, you you can't metagame, but as characters who have went to Grimoire Bay and they know it inside and out where I've done so many missions, they're now starting to connect the dots and they're like, whoa, I saw what you've done here. This is like (laughs) the early origins of that city. 
And because they're already invested with former adventures, quests, they're like all in. And it is, it is a place where in the adventure I've got them in now, the old gods have been forgotten. And part of them have chosen to live side by side with the humans. So here they've been rubbing shoulders with old deities. Uh, some of them don't want to remember who they were. Some of them, for whatever reasons, have played that role so long they've forgotten who they were until they hear a name, their name, or find some reference. And it's, it's like a, a melting pot that's a stick of dynamite that's on fire. And my players, for the exception of maybe one newer player that's added in, have probably done four campaigns in Grimoire <laughs> Base. I mean, they know it. They own it. And these characters are actually getting a part of building it, you know, literally. And again, it's that story that you can do. It's like a, a novel that you're just continually writing. But uh, it's not all about the combat. A lot of it is, you know, about the story, yeah. I, in, at least in my eyes. Some people may totally disagree with that. But that's what we're doing now, and that's my favorite one so far. So without naming names. Oh, dang. Describe your most problematic player. Ah. I think that would have to be the one I already mentioned that wandered off from the group constantly, got himself in trouble, and then would try to call his deity to fix everything. <laughs> no names, but most people out there that's, that's played D&D will know who I'm talking about. Well, anyone that's played D&D with me long enough will absolutely know who I'm talking about, but I had a, a player who always had to be something different. And so you're talking advanced D&D, once upon a time, AD&D 2nd edition. He had to be the predator. I'm like, I don't have stats for you to be a predator. Like, literally, he wanted yeah, to be the alien predator. predator. Okay. And okay. so, as a compromise, I offered to give him equivalent magic items. You know, like, you were trying to work with this guy. And it, no, that wasn't good enough. I could have made him in every way a predator, with the exception of race predator. Right, right. On the character sheet. That was not going to work. He absolutely had to be the predator. And he would do this all. He realized time. he was playing Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. not a sci-fi yeah. RPG game. But he would do this with every game, no matter what game we were in. Oh, he regardless, had to be something, something crazy like that. Hmm. Like, oh, we're playing vampire. Well, then I'm Dracula's son. Well, you understand that Dracula's son already exists in this setting. And you can't be, him. and you can't be him because, well, no, but I have. We're gonna play I'm, Star Wars. I'm Darth yeah, Vader. Yeah, <laughs> yeah kind of. Yeah, we're gonna play Star Wars. Okay, I'm a Klingon. Well, uh, okay, we're playing Star Wars, not Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, yeah. not no. not the same. That's, uh, <laughs> that's interesting. All right, well, one for you. What's your favorite character or role that you have played in a game? Now, that could be as a DM or character. I have a GM PC, NPC. NPC. And it was partial to in our vampire days. Uh, Balthazar Metelson. Nice name. He was a high-ranking vampire in St. Louis who wanted to be Prince of the City, and that was his primary motivation. He was always scheming and plotting to become Prince of the City and overthrow the the existing prince, which is Alexander Chamberlain. And that was the primary motivation for basically a lot of our adventures in, in vampires is he would be, you know, he would bring in vampires from other cities and be like trying to negotiate con, you know, contracts or whatever. Mafia kind of thing. Have them, you know, and he owned this nightclub called the Black Rose, which was downtown and had a, a neon rose on the deal. And he had a secret back room where vampires could go and drink blood and stuff. I dig it. I just, frankly, I have never played as a player enough to have. You got the same problem character. I have. Yeah. I'm always the DM, so yeah. I have to find a DM NPC, you know. So how, how about you? Well, mine's a little different. Um, I, I, I love the role of a dungeon master. 
because I've done that 90% of my entire Dungeons & Dragons time frame. But I had developed a, a group that we had played with for probably a year and a half, two years. And they were kind of that epic level that you were talking about. I love as a DM to just crumple their dreams. <laughs> and I mean, just confuse them with so much. And some of the group that's playing with me now was part of this campaign, but they had wandered into a camp. Uh, and I believe it was kind of like a gypsy camp, but it was a, a large group. And um, they had been given the role that basically this is riffraff. You know, you guys need to get the riffraff further away from town. Here's some money. You know, make it happen. Do whatever you need to do. We don't, want, we don't want to know the details. Just make it happen. So they go in and actually they were befriended by these gypsies and they fell allure to the the violin music by the, you know, the flickering of the fire pits and all of this. And they suddenly learned as they spent about the second night there that uh, there was this monkey that was traveling along some of the supports of a tent. And this monkey, of course, was part of the gypsies and they would feed it and it kind of come down, but they noticed it was very sickly. So they started asking questions and uh, the gypsies revealed to them that it was some sort of a disease that they thought had spread. And it had actually hit a big population of older people in their gypsy commune, as well as children in particular. So here I have these big bulky warriors and they're ready for combat, anything. And now we've dumbed that down to an innocence that they're supposed to get rid of. So in a way it's like, well, we could just walk away and this disease is going to take care of them and we get some money. We could do that. So we're playing the morals, you know, playing, checking the alignments. And long story short, we forward to a point where they get gouged a little bit by the city officials. This is taking too long. We paid you, get this gypsy band, you know, out of here. So one night during a, a rebuttal, a fight, uh, a lantern gets knocked over, catches some of the tents on fire, and just all hell breaks loose. Wagons and people are trying to run. People are on fire. The adventurers that's here to get rid of them end up now befriended defending them. And I pulled on their heartstrings. So I made people cry at my DM table. One in particular, he always played this little gnome. And he's making his way over this cart that's on fire. And it is rolled over on this old woman. And you know, she's like, oh, help me, help me. My, my husband has died. And, and she turns and she's totally afflicted. She's got all these boils and stuff all over her face. And it's like, so what do you want to do? Do you want to just let her lay here under the cart and basically burn to death? <laughs> or do you want to put her out of her misery? You know, and he's like, whoa, this took a, you know, spiral deal. So we had that, we had children that were chasing them on the horseback. Please don't leave me. And you know, all this, I, that's sinister, I know, but I, I like playing those weird roles that make people stop and think it's not all a hack and slash type of game. So you're a terrible person. I am a terrible <laughs> person. I'm terrible, terrible. What is one moment of role-playing from a player that really impressed you? I had a character that played with us for years that totally dubbed me, much like your little map that you said that you had worked for so long yeah. and you had the one door that led to the back. I had these characters. They were in a cave, a very wet cave covered with clay, slid down. You can almost say like a water slide deal. She fell down into this uh, drop-off about eight foot into this river. And I had this giant like anaconda snake python, something or other down there. And as a DM, I'm like, 
your sudden splash alerts to the snake, you know, and it slithers off the bank and comes down into the water and, you know, it's under the water, it's muddy. You're not going to get an initiative and it attacks you. And she boldly, firmly says, no, it's not. And I'm like, no, hold on. This is my game. I'm the dungeon master. I tell the story here. And she goes, well, you said I've been in this cave and it's clay and it's wet. I'm covered with clay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The no sound. Yeah. Yeah. The sound. Okay. Yeah. You learned it. It ain't going to be able to find me. And I'm like, but, 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 but yeah. Yeah. You're yeah, totally you're right. right. Yeah. Got you there. <laughs> got you there. Smart guy. Yeah. I got you. So yeah, that, that impressed me. I fooled the dungeon master. I pulled the wool over his eye. You know, I fooled him. Totally true. I love that because it keeps us all on our toes. How about you? Well. Character that most impressed you. Well, a bit of role-playing that most impressed me. I was going to say, this okay. is not Dungeons & Dragons. It's not a role-playing game. Oh. Actually, it happened. Um, we have a game called Fun Employment. Fun Employment. And in Fun Employment, your player gets three cards and they, the qualifications for a job. Okay. And then you have a job card. Random. It's totally random. And they have to, you have to say, okay, why would you be qualified to be an astronaut? Why would you be qualified to be this, that, or the other? And they have to tell you using the three cards they have of why they would be the most qualified person to be in that position. And I had not done a lot of role playing with my niece. She's you know, 13, 14 at the time. And I'm, I'm just, we'd been around each other, but you know, she's a little kid. I didn't really know her that well. Never really played a lot of these kinds of games with her. Right. How's she going to react? Where do I draw the line? So, yeah. so I read the card and then, you know, say it's astronaut or whatever CEO. I mean, it's just something ridiculous. And she starts reading. Uh, she starts explaining why she should be qualified. And as she hits each one of these qualifications, she lays the card on the table. Right. So the whole time she's talking to me, her voice is speeding up just a little bit. She keeps talking faster and faster. Starts out. You barely even notice it. Right. And she's getting, she's sliding her chair further and further away from the table. And I'm watching her and she's, <laughs> you know, I, I should be qualified because of this and blah, 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 because of this. And finally she goes, and we should really speed this up because I'm slowly being sucked into a black hole. <laughs> and I, oh, I laughed so hard. I wasn't ready for it. And it was so absolutely beautifully creative from this girl that I had never seen this from before. And I was just, it was, it was frankly beautiful. It, it, the finest bit of role playing. I've ever seen, and it wasn't even in a role-playing game. Right, right. And that was when I was like, this is a kid I should play D&D with. Yeah. And she's going to be Prodigy. fantastic. What's your favorite storyline that you have DM, GM'd for or been a part of? We started a campaign. We didn't get very far into it. It started in the city of Hearts Bay. And Hearts Bay basically sat in a roughly heart-shaped crater. Now, the reason Hearts Bay sat in a heart-shaped crater is because at some point in Memorial, the gods had gotten into a fight. And the god of justice and light had pulled an evil god's heart out and thrown it to earth. And so underneath this city is this god's heart. And so this city is plagued with problems constantly. There's always something wrong because, you know, it's basically sitting over this emanation of supreme evil. Yeah, the worst of all cemeteries. Yeah, and it's at a certain point, my characters had found this they they were like look if you can find this and maybe do something about it you might be able to save us and so they get down there and there's this wizard he's in blue robes and you know he's got like white runes on it and and you know if you're familiar with magic art jace bellerin uh one of the planeswalkers he was very heavily inspired by him but i also stole an idea from a different character in pop fiction 
in that this guy was a time traveler who could exist at multiple times on in the time stream. Mm. And so he had known my characters as previous iterations of their character. Like if, if you had played a, a rogue in a previous campaign, he'd be like, it's there, it's in the eyes. You used to be a thief. Right, right. And like, you know, things like that. So he had found a way to seal this heart away, but they had to take over a certain amount of responsibility. So they all got like a little piece of his time travel mentality and whatnot. And he was essentially like a weird Doctor Who thing, but we had a lot of fun with it while it lasted. It, it, in the end, one of the players ended up unleashing a huge Tanari demon who ravaged through the town as they loaded up in boats to escape Hearts Bay. And it was, it was interesting. Probably one of the more interesting games. For my answer to that question, and I swear I'm not stealing from you, <laughs> but similar. We'd done a campaign. It was about a year or so. Um, one of my favorite NPCs is an Egyptian pharaoh lich by the name of Simongali. And we had closed this campaign. We had kind of gotten to that point. They were, they were hitting around level 15-ish or so. And at that point, I really wasn't ready to go into the whole epic level thing. So it's like, okay, guys, we're going to wrap this one up. And we did that for many years up here at the store. We'd play for about a year, year and a half. And it, just like January 1 would roll around and it would kind of be expected, that would be a new campaign. So the new campaign kicked off and I, I was pretty quiet, close-lipped about you know, not dropping any seeds or, or any possibilities. So everybody kind of got together that first night and, uh, you know, we did character creation and some stuff and I twisted it so that ultimately those characters were imprisoned or killed by this Egyptian lich pharaoh, Simongali. And that's how the other one ended. I picked right back up with that. And I said, here's where we're starting. Simongali is going to get even with you one way or another. Some of you escape. Some of you he killed. The players around this table, he doesn't attack your characters. He comes through the game and pulls you as a player, Bill Weirs as a player, sends you to a slavery place up in the Arctic Northlands. And I've got several that are married couples and stuff. So they were married in the game. And they were basically commoners. But like what you said, they had whatever old class yeah. remedies, you know, they had that belief, but they were almost like time travel, very similar to yours. And basically he dropped them off there to die and just watch them. And then <laughs> the whole deal was just surviving, you know, that. And that campaign we ended up doing, they ended up going to ancient Egypt and and found their bodies that he is imprisoned. And then some of them chose to actually go back into those bodies. So we rebirthed some of those 15th level characters. And it was just wild. I, I ad libbed a lot of that campaign and it was just off the whims and, and people around the table coming up with ideas. And it's like, oh my gosh, I remember when that happened. Simon Gali did this and that's when he killed you. And that's when he imprisoned you. And <laughs> I mean, I just picked up and we just rolled with it. I had a lot of fun with that. Never did any kind of time travel, anything like that yeah. before. So that was totally fresh and new for me. So, How would you describe your approach to being a DM? I think we already decided that. I'm savage and sinister. Well, yeah, I mean, um, clear about I'm, that. I'm brutal. I, I, I pull on the heartstrings. I, I challenge their, their morals, their alignment. I love to get into that storytelling aspect of it. You, were you looking for something more specific? Or? Well, no, I mean, okay. I mean, how about um, you? I used to be 100% improv, and then I got older, and I don't remember as well. 
I understand I do, that. I do a little bit of prep work. I kind of do the bare minimum. But I always look at it as we're telling a story together. Yes. And and so it has to be fun for them. It has to be fun for me. And and I want them to enjoy what's going on, even though there may be times where I absolutely put them in, in danger and, and, you know, things that are completely unavoidable or, or set up situations where, like, if you make the wrong choice, that's it. You're done, you yeah. know. But I, I want to I want it to be a story that we tell together. And so there's very often that I will use plot points that they will come up with. They'll like I'll sit there and listen, you know, we really should go to this other village. He seemed to think that was really important. Yeah, but if we go to that village and we get there and it's taken over by blah blah blah, and I'll absolutely be like, Oh, it's totally taken I'm, over I'm, by blah blah I'm owning that. Yep, I'm taking it. Yep. And I think that's a great sign of a DM, honestly, because that's the only way you can keep all the players around your table actively involved. Yeah. If you sat down and pre-recorded exactly what was going to happen, I can guarantee you one thing, that's not going to yeah. happen. That's, and that's the why, one thing. That's why I hate modules and campaigns and, and the pre-written stuff. Now, to your point, yeah, as, I'm, as I've gotten older, and especially with my diabetes, it seems to have affected my memory a little bit, I will have key event, but now what path we take to get to yeah. that event is totally ad-libbed and, and we play it. And, you know, a lot of times... Like a series of bullet points yes, is kind of the way I would yes, describe it. good way to put it. And I think I've said it before, we offer like uh, 10, 15-minute breaks probably two, three times a night during our four yeah. to six hour. That's just as much for me to gather my thoughts as it is for them to go grab a cigarette or bathroom break. I mean... Oh, I don't know about you, but I've had to end a game early just because I was at a brick wall. Like, we accomplished got nothing else. everything that I did, yep. wanted. Yep, I got nothing but they else. But they walked through it so fast. And, and then they're like, no, there's got to be more. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there is, but I haven't got there yet. <laughs> <laughs> What's your earliest memory of playing D&D or a similar RPG? Absolute earliest memory. Young Bill Weir's. Pre-Dungeons and Dragons, the build-up, the earliest groundwork in my childhood for getting to Dungeons and Dragons is that my brother and I, we had a computer in our house from a very young age, and so we were, we had played some Dungeons and Dragons games without realizing we had done so, but we had this game that we would play, and we would take Notebook, and we would go outside, and we would swashbuckle and adventure and, and kill goblins and dragons and whatnot, and as we found loot quote unquote, we would write it down on a on a makeshift character sheet. And so if I had a magic sword, then then obviously when we encountered certain monsters, my magic sword would be better than what he had, or you know, he might find an item that lets him pause time and so if he used it I had to, you know, freeze in the yard while he did what he was gonna do. <laughs> gotcha. And so I would say that was sort of pre Dungeons and Dragons, but the very first inkling that like, yeah, I'm absolutely gonna be this kind of gamer at some point. We, we were totally doing that, so. That's interesting, outside of the box. I think my earliest memory I have for true Dungeons & Dragons would be uh, one of our guest speakers, D.A. Roberts. Uh, he was my uh, dungeon master for many, many years. I was probably 13-ish and got to know him and some other guys from school, and they started well, first off, they, they, they showed me these weird things that were dice. And it was like, <laughs> I know what a six-sided dice is. What the heck is all these other weird shapes, you know? And now you own more than you care to oh admit. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, probably my weight literally in dice. But they're like, oh, yeah, well, you need to start playing it. And they were all new in it, too. So we all learned together. We made a lot of mistakes. and But uh, DA invited us or invited me over to his, uh, upstairs bedroom slash attic. We had the entire upstairs of this house and it was a rental house that, uh, his mom and dad had at the time. And it was back in the day as we have affectionately reminisced 
Friday after school, we <laughs> would go there and we played all Friday night, all Saturday, all Saturday night, all Sunday, with the exception of maybe going downstairs and warm up a few pizzas to eat and when we just totally conked out and took a nap for an hour or two. But I had never been exposed to that. I always, being an artist, I always had what I felt was a good imagination, but man, this just blew the <laughs> doors off. Yeah. And I was just a oh, hook, line, and sinker. And it was like, I, I don't fully yet even understand this. It was back during that time frame, which I still see. I love to see new people struggle. And it's like, roll the D20. What are you talking about? What's oh. a D20? You know? <laughs> When we I play were at with that my, stage. When I play with my kids, that's where my daughter still is. And she's been playing D&D &D for years. It's like, roll your 12-sided. Yeah. Which no, one's that, the 12-sided? That's your 10-sided dice. Yeah. Pick up the 12-sided dice. Oh, my gosh, you noob. You know, kind of deal. But that's where we were at. But it was everything from a blend of Lord of the Rings, um, you know, Middle Earth terrains, you know, dragons, goblins, everything. And this whole magic thing. But yet, as we shared on our controversies of Dungeons and Dragons, I was brought up in a very strict religious household. So there was also that I was being a rebel. Yeah. There was that side of me that's like, oh, hold on. We, we've got to go to the plains of Nine Hell and, and you know, find Tiamat or get Orcus's wand or that's like a demon. Oh, I don't want to do, you know, that. And then it's like, but I'm the good guy. I'm going to go defeat the evil, you know, kind of deal. Yeah. But there was that whole tabooness that I think just, that was right there pushing me on the edge of my seat too. So. My last question for this D&D &D section. What is one idea for a game that you've never been able to bring to the table? I would definitely say, and I've thought about it for years, and I've never done it, is the whole time travel thing. Like, the futuristic. Whether you bring someone with a future that's got a laser gun or whatever, or a lightsaber back to D&D, &D, or D&D &D characters' reversal into the future. I... I know Gary Gygax did that yeah. with, uh, I think it was the Barrier Peak module. It was like a UFO oh, yeah, that yeah, crashed. Yeah. yeah, I know what you're talking about. I mean, oh, and. Was it Black, Black Something Valley? I can't, uh, yeah. I know what you're talking about, though. But yeah. literally, I mean, it was a, a crashed spaceship, and there was teleporters and all kinds of weird stuff. And we did play that, but I mean, I didn't come up with it. But I, there's that purest part of me that's just like, no, these are to be kept separate. But I've thought about it many times, and I think in the right scenario, it would have a great game deal. Just not so sure I could keep it up. But that, what about you? Well, I'm going to stray a little bit from Dungeons & Dragons. I've always wanted to play Call of Cthulhu. Mm -hmm. Just in investigating these greater mysteries and in occasionally encountering these creatures that your mind's not prepared to deal with. I have literally never found anyone that was interested in that kind of game. So I've been able to... I had D20 Call of Cthulhu. I've been able to play a few games of that, which is as close as I'm probably ever going to get. <laughs> but I always wanted to, that or, to be honest, I had this idea for Dungeons & Dragons campaign once, very heavily inspired by Princess Mononoke, where magic and science have come up against each other and science is winning. Right. And there are these... They can't both exist. Yeah, and there are these ancient spirits in the world that represent all the different animals. And so there's like a giant boar and a giant stag and this, that, and the other. And at one point in the time, the players would be able to control one like a titan out of the, you know, the Godzilla universe kind of thing. Sure. And they would battle each other. And, and you know, you'd have cities built around titans or in titans, as the case may be. But it was it was just this this environmental heavy kind of thing. But nobody really wants to play 
a D&D game with a message like that, I don't think. <laughs> they just want to have fun, and they want to do their own thing, and so they don't want to think about that. So, well, Fair enough. Then we decided we each would bring, lastly, <laughs> five questions related to our podcast. Lastly. Man, this one's going to be a long one. This is going to be a long one. You just thought you, you might want to get to know us. At this <laughs> point, they're like turning the channel yeah, off. it's too much. What would you consider the most disturbing of our podcast to date personally for you? Well, okay, here. I would like to, I would like to be, you know, and, and say, oh, it's got to be Carl Tandler because I know that's what you want to hear. <laughs> but for me, it really was Ed Gein, not knowing, understanding he was the inspiration for Texas Chainsaw and all that, but not really understanding all the things he really did. Yeah. I did not know how weird and disturbing that story got when I was like, hey, let's talk about Ed Gein. Yeah, I think I know this story. And then when yeah. we dive into it, and it research, like, oh, it's man, like, he did Whoa. all kinds of horrible, weird, gross. And it, and like, not, you know, what we decided he only murdered like two people ever, but it was what he did with the bodies and yeah. things. And I was like, man, it was just so. I think that was one of the ones where it was like, dude, we can't do serial killers on the regular yeah. anymore. I remember that conversation. It's like, this is getting too dark. This is not. Well, we can do serial killers, but we just can't do can't them every do that week. many. Can't do that many. How about you? By hands down, it was the near-death experience. That, yeah. that podcast where I actually finally felt I was ready to tell my story. Frankly, I feel that's one of our better episodes. So. And, and then I'll take that a step further. A lot of the listeners may not know, we thought we lost that recording. And then the thought of me having to go back and totally redo that. Yeah, what was the circumstance like? We had there was a glitch or a something. Glitch. We thought we lost, and he found it. Yeah, he found. I, I was, was like, we can't do that one a second time. It's, it's like, not gonna oh work. my gosh, I'm not sure I can put myself through this again. Yeah, you know, I'm glad I did it, but it's you never have that same. I don't know. It's just not the same. I guess that's the best way to put it. So we we sort of touched on this. What inspired you to start this podcast endeavor with me? Well, I just, we had talked. We were already doing this, and. At this point, I don't even know how long you and I have been friends. It's it's been wow. at least fifteen years, uh, probably. That oh, I think it's longer than that now. I, I do too now, but probably twenty ish. But to me, Bill, and I mean this in the the best affectionate way, you were the most kindred spirit I think I found out of anybody I worked with at Emerson. And it wasn't always that way. As I said, some of our training yeah. classes and stuff, it's like it, it, I'm, you know. I'm not arrogant. I'm not. I don't think I'm better. I'm just shy. <laughs> But I liked what we were doing. I enjoyed it. I looked forward to it. And then it was like you brought me the podcast idea. I, I'd heard of a podcast, obviously, but I mean, beyond that, I'm not going to flatter anybody and lie and say I, I really understood podcasts. But it was like my kindred spirit here, my brother from another mother <laughs> that I, I talk with and I look forward to is now showing me another doorway just like Dungeons and Dragons did and it blew off the doors for for, you know, imaginativity for me, it's like, I want to be a part of that. I want to share that with, with you. And I think that could be really fun. And again, it was never about my gosh, we're going to make all kinds of money and quit our job. It was never, ever yeah. about that. It was just like, we're just going to do this. And if we get one listener, we succeeded, you know, we're doing this because we like it. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. having fun with it. But for me, that's, I, I just wanted to be a part of that. You? Well, I know for me, you had kind of, at a certain point, you said, okay, we're going to do this. And I, got, I was making promises I didn't plan to keep. 
in those days. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, yeah, we're going to, we're going to do this. And he'd immediately leave the office. (laughs) Okay. Frankly, it goes back to that shyness. I was very, very nervous about putting my voice out there to be heard and, and be judged. You know, I, I didn't, I mean, I, I, I like to pretend that I'm a smart guy. I like to pretend that I know things. And then I, it, Somebody says something about how I don't know something and it just crushes me. And I'm just, well, there's mm. always somebody out there that knows more. So I think you gave us a start date. You said we had to, to put the first episode on the middle of February. Yep. And so it Drew was a like line in the sand. January, like the first week of January, we were going to record. And I kept saying, okay, yeah, whatever. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to. And I talked to my wife about it even. And she was like, why not? I mean, it's, it might be fun. You know, you're not, what's the problem? Why, why not do it? And so finally, I was just like, okay, we'll do this. And then even in the beginning, those first few, what I think we did like 10 episodes at the beginning and then whatever happened, I can't remember exactly what. Work, I think, overtime or whatever. But we did like those first 10 episodes and it was just like. Oh, that's done. This isn't, yeah, but this is over. Yeah. And then we, you keep pushing me to come back. And and there are times where, and, and I don't know about you, I don't know how you feel. There have definitely been times where I was just like, okay, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know yeah. if I can keep doing it. And then, you know, something happens and it's like, it seems like maybe we won't be able to. Then I get like just as nervous the other direction. Like, yeah. no, we have to keep doing it. No, if I'm not going to quit, it's going to be on my terms, dang it, so, you know, kind of deal. Yeah. Like at first I was very iffy about doing it. You were the one, like I taught you about podcasts and then you made me make a podcast. Drug you kicking and so, screaming. <laughs> I was very reluctant at I, first. I, I have to give my wife some credit there and probably your wife. You know, and I I don't know Alita that that well, I'll be honest. I mean, she's been in the shop and I've talked to her a few times, but with what I got to know about you through some of our training seminars and stuff, my wife was like, Eric, you've been where Bill is. You need to make him come outside of his comfort zone. (laughs) I think his wife is wanting him to come out of his comfort zone. And why not do this? What do you guys got to lose? You got to, you know. So again, it was probably our wives behind every good man. There's a great woman, as they say, in both of our cases that, you know, kind of helped empowered that as well. Which podcast is your all time favorite that we've done so far and also the least favorite? So favorite and least favorite. Huh? So that's a tough question. That's kind of like one of our other ones. Well, I kind of said that already. I I feel that the, the near death experience episode because i know it was a deeply personal episode for you and and i i don't have hardly any dialogue in that particular episode but i feel that it was the most humanizing if that's the right word like it 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 brought a different dimension to the podcast it brought a realistic experience from you where i came in with my pages and notes and then just ended up ended up not using them (laughs) because you and your story dominate that. I think we started that one off and it was just going to be near death experiences. Yeah. We, we came in, we came in with something different and, and it turned into what it was, which I, I, in the end, I really think it was one of our you, most you more powerful pu- episodes. You pushed me on that one. Cause I remember sitting here across from you and you're like, you know, I think you've got enough here. Let's just do an well, entire podcast. I had, on I had that. that series of questions where I'm like, if you're comfortable answering these, then we can do this. And I thought we, could, yeah, I thought I thought there was enough for a whole episode there. And I know you didn't want to like, go that route. <laughs> now, as far as least favorite, we said this before we came in here, and I hate to say this, I hate to tell you this, it, it's that Oak Island mystery. Yeah, I know you do not like that my is, Oak Island. That does not capture my imagination. I don't know why. <laughs> I've read about this story numerous times, 
nothing about Oak Island fascinates me. I don't get into that. And when <laughs> when you, I, I think I even remember the day you suggested it, my heart was just kind of like, oh, man. Uh, let's I mean, do I'll, what Eric wants to I'll, do. I'll do it because this is a cooperative thing because I can't dominate it. And, and I... And I'll sit here across the table from you, and I say, I know that that at times I feel like I'm dominating this. That goes Whereas, both like, ways. <laughs> I'm, I'm t- dude, you got to talk into the microphone and blah 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 blah. <laughs> he does get on me guys for that a lot. <laughs> but uh, the whole the whole idea of just like when you were yeah, let's talk about Oak Island. I'm like, God, I don't want to. Even the research was just so. Like, this is a history lesson. I don't. I don't care. <laughs> I guess that goes back to me being the history guy. You know. So, so like how about you? Best episode, worst episode. Best episode. Again, it's a tough one. There's. I, I love the Florida Frankenstein and the Giants, but I, as I said before, we came back here. And this is going to be a little generic, but the Halloween specials. I really, really enjoy doing them. I enjoy going back and and I'll listen to those. You know, maybe a couple times during the year, and I think it's just that. For lack of a better term, we, we've been able, we let our hair down a little bit more. We have a little bit more fun. It's just a different It is more free form. We, we, we give ourselves the freedom to be a little different. Like, you know, when I read The Soldier and Death, that's not like something we would normally do. But it was one of my favorite folk tales, and, and I like sharing that. Yeah, yeah. I loved that one that you did. I, that's one of my favorite stories. Um, but the Halloween specials, by far. I think that, you know, that we've got three of them now under our belt. And the least, I'm going to throw back right at you, Bill. It's the Fermi Paradox, <laughs> episode 45. It's like. Oh, it's complicated. I know. Oh, my gosh. What think, in the world? I think you texted me two or three times that week, just like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And I'm like, look, I you do the bare minimum lost. and I'll carry it. It's like, I'm just a simple-minded old hillbilly, <laughs> I guess. It's like, But a lot of what I was reading, it's like, okay, I get that, but. Why is it even a discussion? I mean, I just it just didn't hook up with and, me. And at for all. me, like the whole Fermi paradox, it was just like the idea behind it, like that we might be approaching the end of humanity as we know it. I'm like it, it seems genuinely chilling in a way, and and I guess maybe it doesn't strike everybody that well, way. Well, you you talked me off the ledge at least twice on it. it. I'm like, I just don't get it. And you, and then you would go into this, and it's like, oh yeah. I feel it now. Okay, yeah. Bill, I'm going yeah. back at it. 30 minutes into it, it's like, oh, good Lord, I'd just as soon have a root canal. I just, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, like I said, I know we talked a couple times that week, and we normally don't no. talk no. about the episodes. So how do you come up with potential topics for episodes? That is a very strange question, because when we started, you know, that was one of our fears. We're going to run out of topics. And I guess now I've created my surroundings. It is no problem. No. People come in off the street. We strike up conversations. And I mean, some of them total strangers, some of them friends. And they're now looking for podcast episode ideas. And they're like, hey, man, you, you guys really need to think about this or think about that. Or, or I mean, my gosh, we got the computer phone that we run around yeah. with. And, and I, I belong to so many different groups. Just stuff will flash up. And, and I mean, seriously, I, I probably have 50 things that pop up on my news feed in a week. Now, one or two for whatever weird reason, will strike me like the Fermi Paradox did for you. But, uh, and it's just like, oh yeah, we got to do this. I, I feel it. I, I want to do this. So it, it, it's weird. It went from a struggle of, oh my gosh, we're not going to be able to do this to, it's all, I don't want to curse this, but it's almost easy. Well, yeah. And, and for me, it's kind of similar. Like you said, I, you know, I might browse Reddit or TikTok or, you know, YouTube videos or whatever. And it would just, you know, at least on a daily basis, there's at least something that pops up that I'm like, that might be an episode. That could be an episode. Mm-hmm. Like you said, in the early days, we, I think in the early days, we were just trying to rely on the things we knew <laughs> without saying, okay, you know, we're going to stumble upon things. 
And even I said with like the, the strange Missouri, there's 50 episodes right there. Oh, yeah. Just do each state. Every state. Yep. So it's like things like that. We could just go on forever. And it was, uh, yeah, there was this idea. Well, in the early days, the idea is we were just going to stick to Missouri. And and I was very quickly like, look, we're, yeah. we're going to run out of episodes. And that became very apparent. They're just, not that there's not a lo- lot of stories, but there's not enough to do a whole podcast on. Yeah. Which podcast do you feel you've learned the most in doing research? Maybe something that you thought you knew that you didn't know. Ooh, that's a good one. I hadn't really thought about that much. Which one did I learn the most from? Oak Island. How much I hate this. <laughs> no, um, probably Aleister Crowley. Honestly, I thought I knew that story a little bit. But honestly, once I started researching it, it was so interesting. And I could have done so much more in that episode. I mean, it would have gone on forever because that guy was just so complex. <laughs> Very. And it was one of those things where like, yeah, you know, I listened to Ozzy Osbourne and blah, blah, blah. And I studied, you know, magic with a K. And so I know Aleister Crowley, but it was like, no, I didn't know half of what I thought I knew. I found him to be very, very interesting the more we got into it. There's a lot more than the Aussie song. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) But yeah, I knew it was, there was one not that long ago. I remember I just, I started reading them. I didn't want to do the research for the other episodes. I was just so busy on that one. Well, for me, what I learned the most on, actually, I think was one of your topics, and that was Hollow Earth. And yeah. when you brought it to me, I, yeah, you, you really, didn't I just went to this, know anything about it. Journey to the center of the earth. Is that what you're talking about? And it's like, oh my gosh, dude, you know, dinosaurs <laughs> and, and the land of the lost. And you know, it's like, ah, but then the, the history researcher part of me kicked in. And I think it was when I started seeing the pilot that worked for the military that was flying over and he described it as like volcanic vents and stuff. And it's like, whoa, I just never thought about it that way. It's like volcanoes. Yeah, they could be anywhere. Why couldn't they be at the North Pole or or wherever? And yeah, obviously, I mean, that would be utterly an oasis in the desert, but it would be in in the winter surroundings. Why wouldn't creatures, animals, tribes go to live there? I mean, they'd be stupid not to. And then it's to the point, it just keeps on. It's like, how long have they lived there? How many, you know, have they been forgotten? Could there be a, and Wow. I mean, it just came unraveled for me and I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed doing the research for it. I, I hope we did a, a good yeah. job on the podcast on it. But when I, when you brought it to me, it was just like, I was so tunnel vision. <laughs> I think that it was just journey to the center of the earth, journey to the center of the earth, journey to the center of the earth. And it's like, not that I don't like that story, but it's like, eh. yeah, I just, that wasn't for me. What has been your most interesting fan moment because of the podcast? And I, and I know we, we have a very limited number, but I know we've had some interaction. I have been accused of being Bill Weir's twice <laughs> in my own store. That's terrible. You don't need that. That's, um, but I took it as an absolute compliment. <laughs> um, one of them was one of your school teachers, uh, former yeah. school teachers that came in. And, uh, another one I think was some, uh, young college kids that your Alex, we both have sons named Alex, but your Alex went to, went to school with. And on both occasions, it's, they just start talking to me like I'm you, but like with the ones with your son, Alex and my son, Alex, there's a little confusion there. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I know because of Alex and you're like, well, yeah. okay. These, these two young men come in and they're like, oh man, we've been trying to get down to your shop for so long. And, and we listen to your podcast all the time. We're huge fans. We love it. You know, and Alex has told us so much about it. And I'm like, click. Okay. Alex, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay. They're friends of Alex. And then they start mentioning college and, and. Yeah, man, we're some of we're some of the biggest fans, Bill. And yeah. I'm like, 
no, I'm, I'm Eric. <laughs> That's the other guy on the podcast, you know, but I didn't, I didn't correct him. You know, I came back here and then I'm like, why did they call me Bill if they know my son, Alec? Oh, they're college. Yeah. Oh, and it's like, okay. And then your former uh, teacher came in and actually I, I will correct myself. I don't think he addressed me as Bill, but he goes, where's Bill at? Yeah. I think mean, he was looking for me. Yeah. And I'm like, Bill, I mean, I'm, again, I mean, obviously I've known you for years and your friend, but I know so many people and yeah. you're in my shop asking for a bill. So I'm going, oh, you mean the bill that used to DM up here all the time that moved <laughs> to Oklahoma? And they're like, no, Bill Weirs. And I'm like, well, why would he be here? This is, you know, the hobby gaming shop. Oh, well, I thought he worked up here. No, 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 no. We, we worked together out at Emerson and, you know, he's still there and I'm here and it's, oh, oh. but both of them just super, super nice. It was yeah. just, it was kind of a funny comedy that both of them had me confused with you because obviously you're the <laughs> the diva of the show <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> not that i've had a whole lot of interaction but i took alex out for dinner for his birthday one year we went up to columbia where he's attending college and uh brought a friend with him and his friend listened to the podcast and it was like one of those it was it was kind of awkward because like not not that it was you know, I'm trying to be friendly and be talkative and whatnot, and I think this this young man is just thinking of me in terms of the podcast. Like he's just met, you know, he, I don't want to say he met a celebrity or anything, but he's just like in you his know, eyes. Yeah. This is somebody he's listened to on the podcast. That's you know, I think sometimes you don't think of people like that as real people. Sometimes even yeah. And you know, I'm sharing dinner with you know we're eating and have a meal together with my son and him, and and it was just I I think it was a little awkward to be honest for 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 him and and a little bit for me. But not, but it was, you know, it was nice to meet someone who was a fan of yeah. the podcast. There's not a whole lot of them out there. So if you run into somebody. Yeah, we'll take I, what we can get. I actually had someone, your name came up in a conversation at work and, and somebody was like, oh, well, I listen to his podcast all the time. And I'm like, his, his? podcast? That, that's, that's our, <laughs> that's oh, you're the ours. other guy? You're the other guy. <laughs> like, yeah, no, that's, that's me. Well, even with your uh, former teacher, they give us just the absolute most flattery. I mean, I was embarrassed. I'm sure I was turning 50 shades <laughs> of red, but they were like, yeah, we recently took our daughter out and it was somewhere way out West. It was like a 12, 15 hour drive. And we listened to you the entire trip there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you poor people. <laughs> yeah. You had to listen to us for like 15 hours straight. Alex has said he's got some friends that introduce themselves and they'll be like, I listened to his dad's podcast. That's like one of the, th <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's weird. Yeah. Fun times. We know a little bit here, but a lot of people may not know. What do you think, why do you think we have those certain podcasts, and you know which ones I'm talking about, that we have called cursed? Oh. <laughs> that we can't, we have so much trouble trying to get out there to the listeners. What was the last one that was cursed? It was, um, oh, Skinwalkers. I mean, one could look at it as, like, Skinwalkers is a forbidden topic. Yeah. Like, we probably shouldn't have been talking about it in the first place. So the fact that we lost the whole episode. And we lost two. Because we, we normally record three podcasts. We realized two in. Yeah. We lost Our entire both. day was so, wasted. We, yeah, didn't, I, 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 we didn't do the third one. Or is it Ozark Howler? A lot of them have been Missouri-oriented, yeah. I will say. Um, uh, Ozark Howler was the, one. The near-death experience. I, yep. I just... And I mean, folks, I, I'm we're just talking say bad luck, it, but that's just me. We're talking again. We may record, we normally record three episodes every time we get together and, and not a problem. I mean, just boom, boom, boom. And then just, we got nothing. We'll, dude. Go, we'll go for months and everything will be fine. And then 
what was it? The, the the Skinwalker one. When I got home and I plugged those in and it was just ground. Just yeah. Like, man, I can't believe we lost the whole thing. Oh, and it's so aggravating from our aspects because, again, once we get that energy behind our story, you can't duplicate that. You can never replicate that. Uh, well, and we're conversational. So there's stuff you bring to the table that I'm not ready for that I, you know, and, and vice versa. Second time around, it's no surprise. So, it's, yeah, it's it, it the content changes. I think it changes the episode if we have to record it twice. Yeah. But we, we have affectionately called those the cursed episodes yeah. for our listeners out there. You, you guys may have never heard that, but we've had about probably four yeah. of those. Well, I would say I'd ask you the same, but I think we we yeah, did yeah. a good job of answering yeah. that one. If you could pick anyone in the world, who's the one person you'd like to interview for this podcast and why? You hit me up with this one out there earlier. and I, I had, you had time to think. I had not remotely thought about that. If I expand it out to living or dead, does that help? Well, actually, that's where I was. I'm, I'm kind of thinking. Actually. <laughs> Anyone in the world living or dead? Anyone in the world living or dead to have on the podcast. I would actually love to have Art. Oh, Art um, Bell. Art Bell. I mean, both of us know our I was origins. A, I had a similar thought to that. And um, I remember the only time I could get it, you know, was maybe on a late Saturday night. I would pick it up a lot of times as we were traveling and I would drive and adamantly, I would curse whenever we would leave the radio wave yeah. where I would lose part of the episode. Because ultimately, I mean, he was on the radio and like we said, the, the internet is kind of the new radio, if you will. So he would have to be um, definitely a mentor and I would love to sit down with him and, and discuss. And inspiration to say the Yes. Least. Oh, absolutely. And say, you know. Did you ever have cursed episodes? You know, share us some of your stories and, and here, did you have these similarities? So I, I would have to say Art Bell, coast to coast. Well, considering what we do here, Patterson and Gimlin. Oh. I mean, oh, yeah. if there's anyone in the world who's ever seen Bigfoot right up close, it's those two the guys. The original Squatch footage. I'd, I'd like to know what they think. I'd like to know what they, how they felt that day, you know. I know that stuff's been covered, and, and and I know you can beat it to death, whether it's real or not. Regardless, e even if it was faked, how did they do it? You know, but especially if it's real, how surreal was that moment in time to turn the corner and see that? You yeah. know, I can't, I would love to have an opportunity to talk to those guys about that. But I'm the monster guy. I'm into that stuff. Well, so. and can you imagine, I mean, whether whether it was real or it was a fake, to your point, to just have them on the show and be totally honest and they could be like, Oh yeah, dude, that was so, I mean, the hair on the back of my neck yeah. was standing up to relive that with them or, or even the flip side. Yeah. We're yeah. really embarrassed to tell you. You know how was, hard that was. That was my yeah. uncle dressed up in a gorilla outfit, you know, but just to hear that and for everyone to finally know and to be yeah. like definitive truth, just boom, you know, one way or the other. Totally. I get that. What do you hope to achieve with our little podcast? I think I know uh, because we've talked about it a lot, but uh, what would you like to ultimately achieve from this podcast? This might sound greedy. A little bit of recognition. I mean, I know we have our fans and the people that, that listen to what we do and they enjoy what we do. But at some point in time, I would like, you know, someone who does like a convention or something like that. This is exactly where say, I thought hey, you were going to go. You know, you guys do this show and, and people love it and we'd like you to come and talk. Are we ever going to get there? I think our listenership needs to grow quite a bit more. Before that, we are not my brother, my brother and me by a long shot. We are nightmares on the lost highway for better or for worse. Yep. Yep. So how about you? Well, I'm going to play my little history buff here. Uh, you know, one of these days when I'm long gone, 
from here. I hope that one of my descendants might stumble across my voice uh, and be able to find the openness to talk about topics that even 10, 15 years ago were a lot more taboo than even some of the ones we discussed today. Back when we were doing genealogy, I happened to inherit a very small Bible. And this was from one of my great-great-grandfathers who came directly from England. And he uh, kept a kind of diary journal on a few loose pages in this Bible. And I just thought that was the most magical thing. Obviously, I didn't get to hear his voice, but I got to know. He wrote like short poems and different things about the trip coming over and what he hoped and dreamed. And, and I don't know, to me, it would be kind of taking that next level of somebody saying, you know, maybe my great-great-grandfather wasn't such a stick in the mud, you know. Yeah. He, he was out here in the Wild West days on a podcast and talking about stuff that, you know, some people may ridicule him or laugh at him for or, or whatever, but he, he just didn't care. My last one here is kind of similar, so if you want to say you've already answered it, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you for that one. <laughs> as far as this podcast is concerned, say Nightmares on the Last Highway ends today at episode 100. What is your hope for, for its lasting legacy? Well, obviously, I think the technical part would be I would want to contribute and keep it alive out there somewhere on a server, you know, because obviously we pay for that. Yeah. Um, you know, Bill and I made an arrangement long ago, you know, we, we pay, I'll pay for that and I pay for computer upgrades and different things and we swap off and, but there, I mean, there may be a time when if this does end and we don't pay server fees, then it's gone, yeah. you know, yeah, so gone. that would be horrible to have this much, three years of work put into this. So almost, almost seven, well. 70 hours of released material so far, not counting, you know, the, the unreleased episodes that we haven't put out there yet. And easily with your time editing and yeah. all of our time researching, 70 hours would equate to at least five, six, seven times that of, you know, of our time. For me, my thought would be that I hope, you know, if my, my kids have kids, you know, after I'm gone, that maybe this could be like a good night story or something like, hey, this is your grandpa. Telling stories. Things either my great grandkids or, or however. I totally get it, that. At least keep it in the family. Keep copies of this going and, and yeah, they I can totally listen to that. it. Because this has it, it's been a labor of love. It's been something that we've we put money into. We ain't never got any money back. And we enjoy what we're doing. And there have been times where this is like one of the only things that's kept me focused on, you know, the, hey, there is some good going on. <laughs> even if it's just sitting down with, with Eric for three or four hours on a, on a Sunday and talking about these these topics we come up with, <laughs> so that is like the peak behind the door, right? Yeah. That is you and I and 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 this podcast and and a little bit about us and whatever happens after episode one hundred. And we we've got, I think we have plans. I think we have we still have stuff on the table. We still have ideas and a list. Absolutely, we we. You know, things may change in the future, but I think we intend to continue this as long as we possibly can. And I would love to see this continue to grow by by little by little. You know, at one point in time, we were getting 20 downloads a week, and then we are getting 50, and I think we're up to 75, 80 now. So, it's pretty exciting, actually. The, I mean, the Halloween episode did really well. So, <laughs> But yeah, um, you know, for everybody who listens, this is the reason we do it. I mean, we started with zero audience, right? And so... Except our captive family. Yeah, well, the people we made listen. So this episode is really for you guys, our listeners, our fans out there who 
thought you wanted to get us uh, get to know us a little bit more. Uh, that is the feedback. They like when we talk about ourselves a little yeah. bit. So here we, we did a whole episode for it. Now we don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> we can just go back to talking about monsters and we'll ghosts. go back into and- our reclusive selves and start talking <laughs> about more familiar subjects. We thank every one of our listeners out there. And again, we dedicate this 100th episode to each and every one of you. And uh, we look forward to standing by you and giving you something to listen to in the near future. You'll find it here. Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Thanks so much for listening. Did you lose your questionnaire? It went way off to the <laughs> side. Like, what the hell? Uh, what sound or noise? No, no, you skipped one. Did I? What turned you off? I got that. What is your favorite curse word is the next one I have. I didn't have that one. Well, oh, no. it's down here. Okay. Yeah. Must be That's the next there. one on my list. Okay. We'd like to give a shout out to our first uh, paying sponsor, Raven's Loft. That's our family shop here located in uh, London, Missouri. It's your one-stop gaming, vintage toy, and collectible shop where you can find Star Wars, Transformers, G.I. Joe, comics, vinyl records, role-play gaming, Magic the Gathering, and so much more. We're located here at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon. And also in our second location, uh, also here in Lebanon, at the Heartland Antique Mall. We'd like to thank Ravensloft for, again, supporting Nightmares on the Lost Highway. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing, and thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. Um, And I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.